0: Welcome to Thursday, May 18th. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Enough for Today. We are in Psalm 78, and um, we are studying the trajectory of ancient Israel as recounted in this psalm as they were pursued by a loving, compassionate, gracious, redeeming God, and as they played him. this, This is what we're reading. They constantly played him. They leveraged him to exploit him. Then they would immediately turn and gripe and rebel and defy. They really tried to stay um, in control and not submit fully to him as their Lord. And uh, yet he was persistently gracious. He was persistently merciful and providing and protecting and leading and guiding. So it says in verse 32, we left off in this area yesterday, for all this they sin still and believed not his wondrous works. Now I want you to catch the point of belief. And I it's really important that we distinguish this. Verse thirty three, Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble, when he slew them, then they sought him and they returned, and inquired early after God. So we see the judgment of God falling. And it occurred to me this morning as I was preparing that we really need to distinguish between what is God doing when he's chastening believers versus what is he doing when he's judging unbelievers? So first of all, let's, let's distinguish the categories of unbelievers and believers because that's really what Jesus does. That's what scripture does. For all this, they believe not his wondrous works. Jesus, you believe in God, believe also in me. So over and over and over from, from start to finish, the, the, the call of God is believe me, trust me. Put your faith in the words that I say and the promises that I make. Uh, And that begins with new birth in the gospel. It It begins with believing that Jesus is Savior and Redeemer and that he's the only hope for my soul. Once you place your belief in Jesus, you are categorized by God as righteous. You are newborn. You are his. You are adopted into his family. You're his child. He's your father. You are categorized as saved, redeemed, secured, sealed. So this belief in the gospel of Jesus uh, as compared to the ancient equivalent of placing faith, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. So belief. So there's two categories of people in scripture and they're not good people and bad people because in that case we would all be bad. (laughs) They are righteous or I'm sorry, unrighteous and righteous or another way to say it is unbelieving and believing. Those who are declared exonerated, forgiven, declared righteous by God because of their faith. So there's unbelievers and there's believers. And and how does God deal with disobedience in the two? Okay, Because what we're dealing with in this case, in the Psalms, in this particular instance, is unbelievers. Now you say, well, they were God's people. Yes, they were. But this portion of them that God's dealing with in the Psalm were unbelieving. Even though they were his chosen nation to reveal himself to the world, it doesn't mean they were saved in the sense of the New Testament gospel. It doesn't n- mean they had eternal life uh, through, through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, as many in the Old Testament did, okay? But these did not. So, so what is God doing? Well, he is judging them. Verse 34, he slays them, he slew them, then they sought him, then they returned and inquired after, early after God. Then they remembered that he was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. Look at verse 36. We didn't get this far yesterday. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So we understand uh, now they're just simply playing the game. They're simply trying to play God and leverage him and exploit him. They do not believe in him. They are not entrusting themselves to him in the, in the sense of saving faith. Uh, and it says so in verse uh, 37, their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So when you come into the category of unbelievers, you're dealing with uh, a faithless disobedience that is downsizing God, upsizing humanity over God as an authority you have a group of people that are trying to leverage and exploit God's power without entering into God's covenant. They uh, profess a godliness but deny the power thereof. That's the New Testament expression of it. So they're, they're, they're not saved. They're not believers. But they are trying to exploit and leverage the power of God for their own benefit, for their own self-serving purposes. And God deals with them in judgment. Now how does that contrast with what God does with believing people. Because there is an extrapolated principle here that believers can play the same game, okay? So let's talk about it. A believer is someone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ and is called, as Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. You that are saved, you that are believers, you that are cleaned and newborn and born into my family, you that are, uh, that have eternal life, my life in you, if you say you love me, That's going to show up by your desire to obey me, to follow me, to let me guide and direct your life. Uh, you, you, You cannot just call me Lord. It is a functional posture. You let me Lord. You let me lead and guide your life. So believers are called to obedience. And yet, if disobedience wasn't even a possibility for believers, then Jesus wouldn't have said, Uh, If you love me, keep my commandments. He wouldn't have compelled them or instructed them to obey if they didn't have the capacity to disobey as believers. So we all have the capacity, just as young children of loving parents, have the capacity to disobey in the context of that familial relationship. And yet, any uh, rational parent would say a loving child, a well-loved child should love back and that love should compel a grateful obedience. What does God do when we disobey? What does God do when we fall back into that pattern of disobedience and rebellion as His children? Well, He chastens us. How is chastening different from judgment? Very simply, Jesus took your judgment. Judgment is a penalty; it's a payment for sin. Judgment is uh, is is ri- is righteous justice being being exacted. Jesus absorbed that justice on the cross. So those of us that are in Christ don't need to fear. We've not been appointed unto wrath or to judgment. Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation. But what does God do when we disobey? Because he certainly does deal with us, doesn't he? Yes, Hebrews teaches us that he chastens us. Those that the Lord loves, he chastens. And we're not to despise the chastening of the Lord, uh, because it simply is an evidence of God's love in our lives when he deals with our disobedience, when he deals with our broken places and our defiant places and our struggles, when he deals with them to yield. The, the, uh, the word of God says that, the, that chastening for the present doesn't seem to be joyous. It's painful, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, uh, it's, it feels like judgment, but it's not. Okay, The word chastening in the New Testament is the same as the word bring them up in the nurture, Ephesians 6. The nurture and admonition of the Lord, chastening and nurture are the same thing. They're always forward-looking. They're always growth-oriented. They're always going to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness, Hebrews says. So how is chastening different from judgment? Chastening is painful. It's uncomfortable like judgment. It's corrective, but it's not punitive. It is leading us forward in growth. Uh, It's purging. It's purifying, but it's not penalizing, if that makes sense. Uh, So what is God doing here? He's dealing with unbelieving people who are simply trying to exploit him, who, um, who are flattering him but lying to him. Verse 37, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But, and I love this, And we'll finish here. But he being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. So in spite of humanity's overt defiance, God is ready to forgive. He's ready to be a redeemer. He is ready to be a rock. He is pursuing us from a heart of redemptive love and he is Waiting. He's turning away his anger. He is pausing. He's holding back. He's withholding destruction so that many can still come to him in his grace and mercy. We'll pick it up here tomorrow. We'll dive a little bit more into verse 38. But I, I just felt it important to spend some time unfolding the idea of what exactly is happening here theologically. Um, what is God doing and how is that consistent with all of Scripture? Um, And let us remember, God is not someone we exploit. He's not someone we play. He's someone we follow in loving obedience and submission. So enjoy him today. Have a great Thursday. We'll see you tomorrow.